Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Ditch the clowns on the left and the jokers on the right and join Michael Smirkanish right here in the middle. This is the Smirkanish podcast for independent minds. Posted at Smirkanish.com today and in this morning's newsletter, a deep dive published in The Atlantic by my next guest into MBS, Mohammed bin Salman. Uh, it's a 40 plus page read and it is worth every minute of your time. I was just transfixed and embarrassed yesterday when I read what Graham Wood had written, embarrassed because when this was published in March, I didn't read it. Graham Wood is a staff writer at The Atlantic. He's the author of The Way of the Strangers, Encounters with the Islamic State, and he joins me now. Hey, Graham, thanks so much for coming back to the program. I'm going to talk all about MBS from your perspective in a moment, but I'd be derelict if I didn't ask you, given your experience with him, what did you make of the encounter with President Biden? What was your takeaway from a couple of days ago? Well, you know, when I think about Biden meeting MBS, I think about two almost diametrically opposed personalities. Biden, you know, he's been in the U.S. Senate for a long time, wheeling and dealing, having to find, you know, Mitch McConnell saying no to him, that kind of thing. And then MBS, a young man who's never had anyone ever say no to him. And so you get two very, dis- very distinct personalities meeting, and, and there's, it's, it's pretty clear that there's no love lost between the men. I think finally what they got, the Saudis got, is what they wanted, which is they get one more step closer to being treated like a normal country, which, which they, they crave more than anything else. And after a few years of being treated like a pariah for cutting up their dissidents overseas, now they get a little little step closer to being treated like a like a normal country and, and like a friend of the United States. Give me the background to the piece. You had two with with your colleague Jeffrey Goldberg. You had two sit downs with MBS. I really loved in the piece the description of. Uh, the backstory in terms of when the meeting was going to take place. I had a similar encounter in spending time with Fidel Castro one night. I was in the company of then United States Senator Arlen Specter, and we were told in advance that the meeting might happen and you need to be in the lobby of the hotel and so on and so forth, but nothing like what you went through. Can you share some of that? I, I hear some similarities there. You know, whether it's the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia or the Lider Maximo, then you know anything happens only because the the, the guy there uh, decides that it's going to happen, and that up to the last minute we weren't sure that it was going to actually happen. Um, MBS, after getting such bad press for cutting up Jamal Khashoggi, 
he wasn't talking to anybody. He didn't talk to foreign journalists for years. And so we asked and said, look, I'm going around. I, Graham, was going around the the country, seeing what was there. And uh, eventually I was going to be writing on this. So if if he wanted to give his perspective, he could. And uh, eventually he decided yes. So that meant going to an airstrip, landing in the middle of nowhere, being picked up, and then being taken from there to a, a palace, which... It was like a five-star hotel in the middle of nowhere. It doesn't appear on any Google Maps. Uh, and finally being led into a, into a room, which uh, had a bunch of princes, everyone masked up, and um, one prince in particular who walked in and then spoke to me for about two hours. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars Rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. What's it like to be in his company? You know, in, in previous eras, Saudi kings would have been very different culturally from you or me. These are people who are, you know, born in tents, riding camels and so forth. And MBS is a young guy. He's in his 30s. He's younger than me. And he watches Netflix. He, he consumes lots of uh, Game of culture. Game of Thrones, by the way, I learned from you. Yeah, a big fan of Game of Thrones. I asked him, who's your favorite character? And he clammed up a bit. He, he realized he was getting into a danger zone if he, if he right, named the wrong right. person who was going to get beheaded. But, you, you know, that means that he's a very different type from all the different all the monarchs who have come before. And before, before anything else, we have to realize that, that it's a new generation of Saudi Arabia that's leading and also being led. And he's very, very cognizant of that and spent a lot of time demonstrating that uh, he had his finger on the pulse of, of, of Saudi youth and thought that they would forgive him for all his errors because he was bringing them so quickly into the present. 
So his father is the 86-year-old king. He was selected by his father. Why was he selected? His father had a lot of choices. That's right. His father, like most uh, Saudi monarchs, has a bunch of sons. Could have chosen among them. Uh, One of his sons has a doctorate from Oxford. Another one went to outer space as an astronaut. So there are a number of people he could have chosen. And he chose one who had no Western education, had no public profile, but was just tough as nails. And I think what we see, the dividends from that choice, is that he, unlike many of the other options, was willing to be very brash, to push others around, including members of his own family. And so I'm speculating here because I didn't get to speak to the king himself, but he chose this one because he knew a lot of things would have to happen, and a lot of things would have to happen fast and against the will of others in the kingdom. And MBS was the only one with the grit who was willing to do that. Graham, a naive question I'll probably ask many, but is it a done deal that he ascends the throne of King Salman, or is there still an opportunity that the job isn't his? There's possibilities, but most of them are biological. They're not, they're not the king changing his mind. It's that Saudi princes don't live that long in many cases, uh, including the full brothers of, of, of MBS who, who have died young. Now, it seems very, very likely that he's going to be the, the king, um, and pretty likely that he'll live a long time as king. So we're talking about a 50-year reign. Um, there was a time, though, when because so many people on the outside of Saudi Arabia were not so sure whether they wanted this guy, that 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 uh, the, the Americans and others thought they might be able to go to the king and say, maybe you maybe you might think of another, another possible crown prince. Um, and that time has passed. The king is clearly all in on MBS, and MBS has consolidated his power to such a degree that it's almost inconceivable that someone else would, would, would take over, short of his dying of an aneurysm or being assassinated. And, and there's and nothing, to, nothing to suggest that the murder of Khashoggi would have changed the king's mind? No, definitely not. Uh, in the last two years, there, there have been plenty of moments when the king could have said, Look, I'm 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 going to, you know, put this guy in the penalty box, and maybe think about someone else, uh, a steadier hand, and that did not happen. Instead, power has been consolidated, and it's MBS all the way. When I began reading your piece, I was prepared to detest him at every level, but I found that there were some redeeming qualities to MBS. Vision 2030 seems like an improvement over where they've been in the past. Yeah, I think you have to remember that that Saudi Arabia starts from a really low baseline. This was a really pre-modern place with totally backwards attitudes towards the place of women, among many other things. And it remains that way in a lot of ways. I mean, for you and for me, come from a you know liberal democracy and so forth, who believe in human rights, Saudi Arabia is not never going to be a satisfactory place. But there are many changes that MBS has made that someone who is a secular liberal Democrat might like. Uh, and that includes opening up the kingdom a bit more, allowing um, the existence of other religions, practice of other religions. Th- these are all good things, and they have to be thought of in the same um, in the same whole, you know, holistic picture as this guy who is throwing people in prison without charge, who uh, people are disappearing, they're dying, um, and there's a, an atmosphere of fear that permeates every aspect of the country. So there's good and there's bad, and they all have to be seen in, in the same view. You made reference to this, but I want to read it. This is this is from your writing. MBS summoned us to a remote palace by the Red Sea, his family's COVID bunker. 
The protocols were multi, multi-layered, a succession of PCR tests by nurses from the Royal Clinics, a Gulfstream jet in the middle of the night from Riyadh, a convoy from a deserted airstrip, a surrender of electronic devices, a stopover at a mysterious guest house, visible in satellite photos but unmarked on Google Maps. He invited us to his palace at about 1.30 a.m., and we spoke for nearly two hours. Why do you think in the middle of the night? Well, uh, you follow his schedule. He doesn't follow yours. Uh, and that's when he decided he had some free time. I mean, MBS, by all accounts, is very hands-on. Even his enemies say he's too hands-on. Uh, so I think it's just the the end pieces of his time is, is what you can hope to get. And the two times that I spoke with him, in both cases, it was like, okay, there's a knock on the door. Now it's go time. The guy's ready. You you have to show up immediately. So that, that's, did, that's what did it was. They tr- in, in, in did they case. try and impose? Did they try and impose any limitations on your questioning? I'm I'm going to get right now to the fact that you ask him, "Did you kill Khashoggi?" Did they try and tell you how they wanted you to treat him? Uh, no, and I wouldn't have accepted limitations like that anyway. Um, you know, it was a very open conversation, uh, and uh, there were definitely things that made him more uncomfortable and things that made him less uncomfortable, but nothing was off limits. So what did he say when you asked if he killed Khashoggi? First of all, he said, of course, I didn't do it in the sense of telling someone to go kill Khashoggi. Now, he he said, I'm responsible for it because I'm the king of the country who's um, whose people did it. But then he said, look, and then here's where it got really strange. He said, if I did do it, I would have done it much better. And by the way, there would be like thousands of other people I would have killed first. So, you know, we're talking it's about a, person, a, a human being who was chopped up into little pieces on his watch, by his admission, on his watch. And so it was pretty shocking to hear anybody talk about a murder victim in those terms. Um, but that's what he said. He said Khashoggi wasn't even important enough to kill. He said, I'd never even read a, a single article by Khashoggi. So there was there were definitely O.J. Simpson, if I did it, vibes about how he, he described what happened to, to what, Jamal. What exactly were Khashoggi's criticisms? And, and were they something beyond that which was the normal criticism? I mean, let's just pursue for a moment what he said. He's saying this guy wouldn't even have warranted that. Did Jamal Khashoggi warrant that in the eyes of the Saudis? Well, first of all, he did not warrant it. Jamal Khashoggi was a rather gentle man. I knew him. He had a set of criticisms of MBS and of Saudi Arabia that I think by by any reasonable standard was mild. He was pro-monarchy. He told me that specifically, that he did not think the House of Saud, which has ruled Saudi Arabia in in its modern form, uh, needed to be uh, supplanted, didn't need to be toppled. He said that, that what he didn't like about what MBS was doing was like 10% of what he was doing. Um, most of the reforms were, he was he was in favor of. He didn't like that MBS w- was, had these white elephant projects out in the desert, that he was picking winners, uh, that he had such confidence and was not um, ruling with quite as much consultation as pre- previous Saudi monarchs. So... Um, this doesn't sound. This is pretty weak tea when it comes to dissent, but it was enough because he was the most prominent of, prominent of all these dissidents to get him killed. Is it possible the Saudis killed Jamal Khashoggi without MBS's consent? 
I think it's it's quite possible that there were people within MBS's court who acted with what they believed was MBS's consent because MBS was totally indifferent to the life or death of, of this dissident and didn't like him. Now, I, the CIA uh, concluded that it was highly likely that MBS did know that this was going on, and I have no reason to doubt their conclusion, which seems like a reasonable one. But you have to remember that the way things work, the way that orders are given, the way that power works in a royal court like this is very difficult to discern from the outside. And so I think it it could be the case, I don't know, that there could have been henchmen who decided, you know, should we do something about Khashoggi? Crown Prince says yes, and then the henchmen take it upon themselves to make sure that he's not just kidnapped, which is one of the possibilities, but killed. So who knows? I do know that MBS himself says, hold me responsible for it because it happened under my watch. I'll take him at his word for that, too. From your work, quote, the standard narrative now accepted by the Saudi state itself is that the kingdom was seduced by conservative Islam and eventually the jihadists it sent overseas, most famously Osama bin Laden, redirected their efforts toward the Saudi monarchy and its allies. Fifteen of the 19 hijackers on 9-11 were Saudi citizens. What does he say to you about Wahhabism? Uh, so MBS, unlike other Saudi monarchs recently, uh, has nothing good to say about Wahhabism. He says this is a, a moment in our past, the con- very conservative, flirting with jihadism view of, of Islam was something that, that had seduced us for on the order of 30, 40 years. And that's all changing right now. So every time he talked to me about the religious politics of the country, it was to say that it's being sidelined, that we are, are proud of Islam, but we're not going to let Islam rule us. Uh, and most of the things that used to be part of, of the architecture of Saudi government, Saudi um, public life, um, they're just going to be pushed aside. And on the street, on a daily li- in the daily life of Saudi citizens, that's pretty easy to see. There's things like uh, movie theaters, there's women driving, all these things that, that a few years ago before MBS, we were constantly being told by Saudi Arabia, uh, no, that, you know, that, that's just not our way. Uh, it's too quick for us to change. MBS changed it with the stroke of a pen. So Wahhabism being pushed aside, I think, definitively by MBS. And but are they still the that, are they still like, funding it, Graham? Like, are they still funding it? Um, uh, if they are, they're doing it very much on the down low. Um, Wahhabis themselves complain all the time about MBS and about how the money is dried up. So I, I think that's probably the case. By the way, this is Graham Wood. His his piece from The Atlantic, you should read. It's in all my social media. He's also the author of, this is most significant, The Way of the Strangers, Encounters with the Islamic State. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders 
are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen Gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124 and on the SXM app. Okay, a final subject error. Area, thank you for being so gracious with your time. I'm trying not to give it all away for free. By the way, this is Graham Wood. His his piece from The Atlantic, you should read. It's in all my social media. He's also the author of, this is most significant, The Way of the Strangers, Encounters with the Islamic State. So you make a prison visit, a state security prison visit, where Dunder Mifflin is the strategy. Please explain yeah, that, that's right. I, I went to a state security prison. That is a political prison where they take political dissidents and aren't, they're not seen from again anytime soon. But most most importantly, they take jihadists. They take members of ISIS. They take members of Al Qaeda. And I got to meet these people who, under the watchful eyes of their wardens, were describing to me what their new life was. And they said, look, people tried to talk us out of our bad ideas before in this prison, they're doing something different. They're just giving us some busy work to do. So they're running a company inside the prison. It's called the Power Company. It has various businesses inside the prison. It offers graphic design services outside the prison. And frankly, it looks like they're boring the jihad out of these guys. They're turned into office drones, Dunder Mifflin-like. And uh, you know, th- this, is, this is all part of a Saudi propaganda tour. So who knows how it's actually working? I do know that this approach is not one that I've seen elsewhere. And they say, look, we had a vision of the caliphate once. Now we have a vision of Vision 2030 and the vision of, of MBS. So it, it really is a, a nice encapsulation of what Saudi Arabia has tried to do creating fanaticism about jihad for a different type of, of fanaticism for a, a nationalist secular leader. here's okay here's where you left me at the end of the piece uh, you left me wondering if if it's possible that despite the execution of Khashoggi MBS might still in in uh, what would I say in contrast to some of the other choices be in the better interest of the United States am I missing something yeah yeah, it's it's possible. I mean, I, I think if we were having this conversation 10, 15 years ago about Saudi Arabia, we would have felt pretty hopeless. I mean, Saudi Arabia was in some ways the worst country on earth back then. And now it's gotten in some ways a bit better and in some ways more illiberal, more brutal. So 
the question is, will that trajectory of getting better and will it dominate in the end or will the brutality dominate? And there have been so many cases in the Arab world of autocrats becoming even worse than you could imagine. I mean, I think of Bashar al-Assad, for example. And with MBS, uh, it's relatively soft touch compared to Bashar, and he could become more Bashar-like, or he could become a secularizing, modernizing autocrat who has a softer touch as he gets a bit, a bit older. And I, I cannot tell which of those it's going to be, but I, I was there long enough, saw enough with my own eyes, to know that this is going to be a really, really tough call as, as things go forward. And I also remember well enough from my previous reporting a decade, two decades ago, that back then the baseline that we were working from was, was truly dismal. So um, comparing him to the, to the Saudi past, he, he might be a, a pretty good deal. And the Saudi future could be still worse or much better. Have you stayed in touch, if not with him directly, with the people around him? Uh, you know, MBS's people hated what I wrote. Uh, I, I wrote they? some things about their crown prince that yeah. were considered. I mean, if mm-hmm. I were Saudi, I'd be in prison. So um, they they weren't thrilled by the the portrait that I that I that I gave of him. You know, his critics were equally unthrilled. So um, it, it, there's n- nobody's happy. Uh, he remains the um, absolute ruler of this country, <laughs> which which means. Dissent is not really possible to do. Well, I think I think I'm proof. Yeah, I think I'm proof of you achieving the mission insofar as my conclusion is to say, I think this guy is a murderer. Geez, I wonder if if he's necessarily not in our interest. I said that with a double negative, but maybe he's still the best for the United States. I never expected to have that conclusion when I went into your piece. Hey, Graham, that was awesome. Man, thank you so, so much. The Way of the Strangers Encounters with the Islamic State. I'm I'm envious of the experience you had. That had to be phenomenal, traveling all over and sitting down with him twice. It, It absolutely was. It's a pleasure talking with you, Michael. Thank you, Graham. Graham Wood, ladies and gentlemen, from The Atlantic. The piece is in Smirconish.com, the newsletter, the website today. I highly recommend it. Uh, Okay, how about that wacky thought of mine at the end? I think you heard enough, even if you've not yet read all of Graham's work. Is it possible he both murdered Khashoggi and, I mean, it's horrible, right? Someone writing for the Washington Post, and yet on balance? I can understand more why the president sat down with him. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Michael Smirconish for Independent Minds. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now 
wherever you get your podcasts.